Hey, this is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Today's episode is with Tikon Bernstam. Tikon is a multi-time YC founder. The first time he went through YC was the summer of 2006 with Scribd, and then five years later during the summer of 2011 with Parse. And given that we're about a month away from the winter 2018 application deadline, I thought it'd be cool for Tikon to come in, talk about his experience, talk about his decision to do YC a second time, uh, given that Scribd had already worked out pretty well, and um, what his experience has been like as an investor for these past few years. As always, if you want to read the transcript or watch the video, those are both at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you'd like to apply for the winter 2018 batch, that is at ycombinator.com slash apply. All right, here we go. So could you just start by explaining how you first found YC? Yeah, I actually found YC because I was on Reddit. I was, I was in graduate school, which meant I had a lot of free time. Um, and so I, I was, I read it was super early. This is back when like the top post might have like, you know, 10 points. And this is like before it even had comments. And via that, I found Paul Graham's essays on how to do a startup. And, and to me, the idea of doing a company was basically impossible. This is after the bubble or after the dot-com crash. Everyone had basically declared like the web was over, like that, that, that that's all done now. Um, and so it was very, like Paul Graham's essays were really the only source that I had found um, that kind of said, actually, here's here's a pathway to do it, and, and like it can be done. And I was super interested in that. I applied to YC on a like really as like really on a long shot. I didn't think I'd get in, um, and so I interviewed um, in Palo Alto, and although the actual program was still back in Boston in, in Cambridge, and I got in. So I just dropped out of graduate school. Um, what were you studying? Uh, physics, actually, theoretical physics. But I, I studied uh, computer science and econ in undergrad. So that was kind of a small change. Um, and so, yeah, so I dropped out of grad school and uh, moved, moved to Cambridge. Um, and so then, yeah, me, Tripp, and Jared probably worked on, like, Scribd for at least uh, well, yeah, so we worked on script for at least like a year and a half before we got like real traction on it. Um, so this is back in summer 2006. And what was the initial pitch for script like in the application? Well, yeah, so script was actually like one of those pivot companies where like we applied with different ideas. Yeah. And then like much like Reddit was actually a pivot company where like it was yeah. actually applied for as something else like it's like food delivery stuff. Really? Paul, Paul's like, I, yeah, Paul's like, I love you guys, Steve and Alexis, but I, I hate that idea. How about this kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, Steve's talked about that before. Um, and so similarly, like Scribd actually was actually the merger of me, Trip and Jared, like during YC, uh, they were working on some other project. Um, uh, and like, it was like a Craigslist for colleges. Um, back then Craigslist was super hot. So like everyone was trying to do much like nowadays, everyone's doing like Uber for X. Like back then it was Craigslist for X. Uh, (laughs) Glory days on the internet. But, but then YouTube sold for over a billion and people said that was insane. You know, Oh my God, Google overpaid, which, you know, totally wrong. And so then YouTube became the hot one. So then, then we said like, let's do YouTube for documents. Uh, (laughs) Like that, that was literally like the thinking. And I mean, we'd also noticed this problem where Tripp's dad, who's at who's, a, uh, who's at the Stanford Med School, was having trouble like 
basically viewing the documents like online that that like he wanted to read um and like not he didn't have like the right reader and like sometimes i'd send my mom like a postscript file and she'd be like how the hell do i open this People were just um, downloading it and then they needed to download like Acrobat or something. Yeah, like if you want to open a, if, yeah, because back then if you had like Adobe Reader, that, I don't think that actually opened up like PostScript files back then. It may, maybe it did, but um, a lot of default viewers didn't. It just depended on your OS and what, uh, what sort of default software you had bundled. But anyway, we just decided like, why don't we allow the documents to be embedded inside of the web pages? Mm-hmm. And we started off. Uh, with Flash, um, but we we had always hoped that we could switch to HTML5, which we did much later. Okay. And so what was the YC experience? And so Summer 06, what was yeah. it like? It it was great. So this was back in Cambridge. Um, honestly, we would never have made it without that program. Um, and I think that's true of actually most of those companies. Um, and I'd, I'd argue probably most of the companies. Um, because without that community of like like-minded people, who are highly motivated and working on like the same general like pathway as you, and also like people who've done it before, like Paul, uh, Jessica, J, uh, Paul, JL, Trevor, and like Robert, who were basically there to like kind of like, no, you guys are like that. That's stupid. Get like get, get back on course. Because um, sometimes we would just go the wrong way for like a whole week, like before we'd see them and we show them, and they'd say, "What the hell are you guys doing?" And they and, and they were always right. Is the thing. So like it's I mean it saved us years and the company wouldn't have worked without them, um, and so I'll, I'll I'll always be grateful for that. Um, and it was it, the, the all the batches were small back then. I think Scribd Summer '06 was the second batch. So still my best friends are the people from like the Summer '05 and Summer '06 batch in Cambridge. Like uh, and that's like so going on over a decade. Uh, just because those were the only people I knew doing startups and like they were the people I talked to. And it was great because, like, one day you think with startups, one day you think your company's going to fail. Like, you know, you think you're getting sued or something. Someone's threatening you. And the next day you think you're going to sell to Google for a huge amount. Like, because just because someone, some, like, person in M&A accidentally emails you. Um, and so having other people going through the same thing, like the, like the, the Twitch guys kind of working on their stuff, yeah. which took over a decade. Um, and back then it was Kiko. Uh, which switched into Justin TV, but like having that sort of uh, having those people around in that community, and then kind of like the guidance of the of the partners, uh, is probably the only reason that we survived. And so, how much money were you getting from YC at that point? It was not the same as it is now. Yeah, back then it was fixed. It was six thousand dollars per person. Okay. So overall, we took in eighteen thousand. Congrats. That's huge. No. <laughs> we almost sold the company for that much. <laughs> um, and and so. I mean, obviously the money lasted. What did you do with it? Like people get way more now. Yeah. I'm, I'm always amazed how much people get now because the seed rounds today are bigger than like the series A that Dropbox and Airbnb did with Sequoia, yeah. which I think was roughly a mil each. Like, and so I'm like, how did you guys spend all that money? Usually wait, if people run out, but back then we struggled. I mean, so for a couple of years I was living on savings. We were basically, I was, I was basically living out of Tripp's parents' house at Stanford, um, and like his mom was getting irritated because I keep like eating all the candy and like I was subsisting on you know top like top ramen and like their, whatever food was available in their cabinets. Yeah. So Trip Jared and I uh, worked for months basically out of, out of his living room and without the generosity of his parents to even let us do that. Um, and did you raise after YC? Or we did not. Was it a while? So back then, fundraising was very very different than it is today. Um, also. 
just the environment in Cambridge is so much different than the valleys. But back then, like the, the mood was so gloomy and like startups are over sort of thing that like it took a really, there were actually just weren't that many angels around. There weren't that many people who had either gotten, who had exited or like who wanted to do that sort of thing. I mean, now demo days oversubscribed and such, but back then it wasn't like back then. I don't think it was even like a full room actually. Um, and so you were just basically living off savings, like Scribd wasn't making enough money. We actually money stretched to, that 18K okay. pretty darn far. Um, yeah. I mean, if you can somehow, if, if, as long as you can get your rent low, you can live for a long time. Okay. Um, Do you know approximately how long that actually went? Well, I mean, yeah, it was another year after YC. So uh, we, we, we scratched by on that. And not, I mean... Being a you know being a wealthy grad student, no, um, so having zero savings like for really any of us because Trip had just left Harvard, Jared dropped out of Harvard to do this, um, uh, so we just really like we really tried to make every dime count. Hmm. And so, um, how long did you uh, work on Script? Yeah, so started uh, like like I said, uh, summer two thousand six. I left about five and a half years later. Um, I talked to the co-founders. I said. Listen, I think like if we're not gonna like do, go more B two B, like like more like a uh, enterprisey, um, I think that I should probably go because I'm I'm really interested in doing something in that space. Um, and so they they were like, okay, cool. Uh, they they actually invested in my next company, which was Parse, mm-hmm. which uh, we basically actually actually so it was actually two of us who left. It was me and James Yu from Scribd. Um, we James was actually I think our first hire at Scribd, and so he he, he and I were close friends and still are. And so um, we left and the very next day we were coding and working on like the prototype of like what was not parse. It was something else. Uh, we, so, okay. Pause. What was that idea? Um, there were actually 12. So we made 12 different landing pages. Okay. Well, because so with Scrib, we would spend about one month on every idea and like build out an app and then test it. And that's kind of why it might may have taken longer. With Parse, we said, let's not waste a year. Let's make 12 landing pages, like kind of launch them yeah. and then see if people even give us an email. And B2B products? Yeah. In, 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 in things that made money. Like, because um, I think in B2C, it's much harder to gauge whether you have a long-term traction or not, or if, or if you're chat roulette or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, so we basically had... 12 different pages that we launched. Like one was an API for companies to send gifts to like their best users because that's Scribd. I always like wanted to like send gifts to people who uploaded like 100 documents. Okay. It'd be nice yeah. to do that programmatically. I don't think that even exists still. Um, so like then we just looked if people clicked on the pricing page and if they'd send up and put an email in. And then anyone who typed in, in their email, we would email them being like, why did you sign up for this? Like <laughs> this was a crappy landing page that we made in like two hours. Wait, how are they getting to the landing page? Were you do like outbound marketing for any of this stuff? Or? Show HN was like basically, but this is before product hunt. So we was, it was mostly show HN. It was it was it was on Twitter. You were doing Show HN landing pages. Y- yes, like Show HN, this service exists. Actually, Parse launched that way too. Parse launched as a landing page. Really? Yeah. Okay. And back then, it was called ZStack, okay. and we didn't own the Parse.com domain, which we only got later thanks to the Stripe founders and Stripe CTO. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was called ZStack. We launched a landing page again. Just we wanted to make sure people actually wanted this thing because we knew, like, from our own experience building mobile apps at Scribd, at other companies, that everyone was sort of reinventing the wheel, redoing the same sort of like code that like 
like push notification type stuff that really could be generalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and back then, like AWS was kind of just still very much in its infancy, but you, you could see the need for like Heroku had just sold for uh, $250 million to Salesforce. So like the pitch of like Heroku for mobile, like kind of was like a very like... I actually dislike X for Y pitches now, like all these now Uber. But you were riding those waves in the past. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I I am 100% guilty uh, of doing those in the past. And so we we actually, I think think the pitch deck I used at YC uh, uh, at the demo day was, yeah, it was Heroku for mobile was like actually the the, like title of what what the company was. Okay. Uh, And and just stepping back a little bit, what made you decide to go with ZStack? Um, versus the other 11. Yeah, um, it was actually talking to the users. Um, so we had talked to the users on But to be clear, there was no product for any of them. So, well, so Par- Parse is more complicated. Parse, was, Parse is actually the merger of three independent entities. So Ilya was a solo founder in Parse, uh, working on like a find your friends app sort of thing, um, which like was very popular at the time. And Kevin wasn't even in YC. Kevin emailed, Kevin had been in YC previously, and then was working at Google, emails Paul and says, listen, I want to get back into startups. Like, if, if you have anything, let me know. Paul emails the list like, hey, there's this great guy, great hacker. Like, uh, you guys should, like, talk to him if you're looking for a co-founder. And so James and I met with Kevin. Ilya met with Kevin. We ended up all trying to work together for, um, for, for like, a couple of weeks and, like, just to see if we'd harmonize. I mean, I, I don't advise people work with people they don't know. Um, but it, hey, worked for Twitch. Uh, yeah, no, it's, wor- it's worked for some people. It hasn't uh, worked for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So what were those two ideas then that merged? Oh, yeah. So we were actually more in the payments uh, space. Uh, more So James and I were interested in the like, recurring subscription billing space um, where people were, I mean, people still have trouble like actually getting like recurring billing working. Um, I mean, it's getting better now thanks to Stripe. But um, so stuff for like normal people basically take payments like that that were recurring. Um, I mean, we we were still very much in the ideation phase where we were very happy to pivot to whatever was kind of whatever we felt would be like the best type of like business. Um, And yeah, and then um, basically we also started working on Parse uh, and we basically launched that landing page uh, pretty quickly into YC. Um, and we launched it on Hacker News. On, it was a show HN. Uh, it, it was called ZStack.com, I think, at the time. And so what were like? What was the pitch? It was, it was, it was literally a theme forest theme. It was like a $9 theme forest theme that has these hot air balloons on it. You can still buy it today. And, and, and just it was uh, basically Heroku for mobile. Like basically, we're going to take away the DevOps and like the the back end like part of it, so you can just focus on like the like front end, like like native uh, you know uh, code, okay. and not have to worry about thinking about like your database and all that stuff. Abstracting it away via our SDKs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I've used a product before, but just like. To be clear, for everyone else who's listening, could you just give the quick explanation of what it actually became? Yeah, yeah. So Parse is a, a platform that helps you make uh, mobile applications much, much faster. Uh, we, we estimate roughly 10x faster. Um, and so normally, if you're making a mobile app, you'd have to like write all of the code that like that the actual like the like native client interface on the phone that the person would, would play with. But then you'd have to think about how how does that app talk to some server in like Virginia and then what does it send and then 
where, where's that data going? Um, how am I querying it? Like how am I, what happens if that server goes down? So Parse took care of that whole second part of, this, of the stack. So that you just did the client stuff, you make a, like a pretty native UI. Um, we didn't believe much in the, at the time in sort of the like uh, HTML5 approach, which now is working better, but like the sort of phone gap type of thing. Like we, 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 we believed that uh, native apps at the time were like definitely superior in, in experience. Um, and so we just tried to like abstract away like all basically like the really hard, like kind of like 80% of stuff that people shouldn't have to know how to do them in order to make apps. And had you guys decided that like you wanted to go through YC again? Oh yeah. We, I, I talked to Paul almost immediately. Um, on and, leaving script. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, yeah, me, me and James, uh, have to have these ideas. Uh, we're not sure exactly which one we're going to do. And Paul's like, all right, well, let's let let's uh, do this again. Really? So okay. So you applied like kind of blind, like there's no product still. Well, we 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 agreed with Paul that that we would focus on a company called PintPay, which was a the subscription billing uh, service back then. Back then, billing and like payments companies were super hot. Okay. Like like uh, WePay just raised a bunch of money. Stripe oh. Stripe was famously doing really well, uh, but we definitely never wanted to compete with Stripe. Um, so we were looking for other angles inside of payments, okay. you know, that you, you could do things like anti-fraud type stuff on payments. Uh, so basically like another idea was sort of funded through YC yes. and then you just changed it yes. and you brought people on in the meantime. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. That, that actually happens a surprising amount of the time. Yeah. I would say, yeah. Um, and so by the end of the summer though, you're, you're Heroku. You're, we're Heroku for mobile. Yeah. Or we, I, I later switched to AWS for mobile. Um, but basically, like an AWS tailored for developers of mobile applications. Okay. And so why did you want to do it a second time? YC? Oh, I mean, well, okay. First off, the first time, we would never have made it without YC. And that's likely true the second time as well. Um, again, it's largely for the same reasons as the first time. I, I still don't think I know anything about startups. Like, I'm, the more and more I do this, the more and more I'm convinced how, like, how little I know. Um, and so like having that sort of, having that like community of people like who are highly motivated, having my first customers there right there in the batch where I could say, Hey, like, like you're making a mobile app, use this. Yeah. Like that's really, really helpful because yeah. then, then you suddenly get feedback and then every, every dinner, every week you go to them and say, Hey, I launched this new stuff. Check, check this out. And then, you know, we'd bring our laptops and, and show what we're doing and then, like half the time it was stupid and the people told us that we, and then we stopped. And, they, and then the other half, they're like, well, why not like expand on this that way? And we're like, oh, because that's the problem you're having in mobile. It's not that. How did you start getting customers afterward? Because it makes sense like when you're surrounded by startups, you can just grab a ton of people. And I found Parse by going to hackathons because people were using it all the time. Yeah. Um, but how did you get people who would pay for it? Yeah, so... Um, we didn't have pricing for actually quite a while. It was a free service. We, we didn't know how to do pricing properly back then. Um, for, like, and so we were mostly focused uh, on can we get, are we making something that's making a few people really happy? Like, so we would talk to the developers like, who had signed up and who, were, who started using our like, beta, you know, which started, we started off just basically like, sending data to the cloud um, like, to, to like S3, say. Um, and... Um, by talking to the developers and seeing like, do, do we have a product where people are really disappointed if we just like went away? Um, which I think is a really good test. If, if, you, if you can't find some niche that is absolutely like fanatic about your product, 
um, then you likely don't have strong product market fit. Mm-hmm. And um, most of the times that I've failed in startups was basically trying to push growth before I had product market fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we found this core segment of developers who really wanted to make native apps much, much faster, ranging from like agencies who were making apps for everyone from like Green Bay Packers to like the Travel Channel and Weather Channel and Cadillac, who actually all, all end up using Parse. Um, but like we found people who really cared about this. Like this makes my life much, much better. And then we actually talked to them and like used that. We used their feedback to kind of make the product better um, in the, in the ways that like it should be better. Um, and we, I mean, we, we actually moved really fast. All, all four of us were coding. Um, and so we, we worked and we kept kind of launching features constantly. Um, and, um, we got the parse.com name thanks to, um, Greg, the CTO of Stripe. Cause I, I asked, um, I was over at their office and I, I asked them, what was your guy's second choice? Cause like Stripe's an awesome name. And they're like, well, if Stripe didn't work, we're going to, we're going to be parsed. I was like, that like that's available, and, and they just gave it to you. Well, they, for they 10 didn't. Bucks they, or something? they didn't own it, so they had they had written a script to email all the owners of like one word uh, English uh, one syllable uh, domains like Stripe, Parse, uh, things like that, um, and asked them like, "Hey, we're you know a couple people working on a startup. You know, are you interested in selling?" You know, most never replied, but like Parse and Stripe owners did, uh, and so. I, I won't say how much Stripe cost, um, but uh, Parse was only 15K, Parse.com. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, all things considered. And so um, so going through YC the second time, like what became valuable to you? I assume it was different than the, well, first of all, it was like way more people, right? In summer 11, right? Um, but what was valuable the second time? Well, again, like having like customers or like, or the actual users like inside of the batch where I could like talk to them, uh, having that community, cause it actually gets quite lonely when you're just sitting there like coding, like, you know, 16 hours a day or like, like even if you're with like the same three people every day, like it's nice to have that community of other people who are doing the same thing. Um, the partners smacked us around a bit like, no, no, you guys like are going the wrong way. And they, they were, they were almost always right. Um, and so we got a lot of good, like, it, it kept us honest about shipping every week, like shipping new stuff, not, not, not being embarrassed to, to ship too early, which is like really, really common, especially amongst like developers um, who just want to keep coding instead of shipping. Um, and so uh, the, the, the partner's advice was priceless. But, and, then a, and then a demo day, I mean, fundraising was, that was next easier. I can't imagine the fundraising... You know, minus the YC demo day, we raised. We were wildly oversubscribed, but we, we only took 1.5. We we stopped there um, for our seed round, um, and like we really were able to get some of like the just the, the most the, like so, so, like so, some of the best investors and some of the most like like kind of like famous like Valley type people, and it was like it was really it was really awesome. Yeah, and then it was like two years, and then Facebook acquired you guys. Yeah, or something I mean, like that. Yeah, so we started Parse in 2011. Uh, Facebook acquired the company in 2013. Okay. Um, we'd actually had M and A discussions with several other companies along the way, like in 20 like 12 um, and and early 2013. Uh, but we 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 actually raised our Series A like right after Demo Day. We basically went and started to, like raise our A um, because we actually thought we already had basically like enough traction to start doing that. Um, and 
we and, and it actually was a fairly uh, fairly quick process. We raised uh, 5.5 million from Ignition, so in total raised seven million. Um, that just happened. <laughs> and then we started hiring, and we kind of like we, we were able to, to recruit some just amazing developers. Um, a lot of people off the Google search team, for instance. Uh, people, a lot of developers were passionate about the problem and like like working on their on the tools that solve their own problems. Mm-hmm. So that was helpful. And being such a developer focused brand um, also helped us. Um, and YC was great for that. Being able to like kind of you know post like hey like we're hiring on like on Hacker News back then. And- I mean, because that's always a question. Like I wonder, right? Because people are looking for those jobs, but you guys are also just looking to find people. Yeah. So like. What was the effective? What were the effective strategies for finding developers to come work on Parse? You just made a cool product, or or what? Well, we often we would talk to a lot of our actual users. Like, I mean, there were, there were some amazing like engineers who were like using Parse, and so even if we couldn't hire them, we could talk to like their friends. Um, but also, um, once we kind of got like a couple amazing hires out of the Google search team, we just kept asking every we, we asked every single hire like, who's the best person you worked with? Like, who would you co-found a company with? And then we would just go go to that person, and I, then I ask the same I ask the same question like to that person. And even if I couldn't get like that individual, I could like you just kept kind of kept moving down the tree. Um, yeah, and so that actually worked really really well. Um, and we were able to hire like a lot of like friends or people we'd worked with previously. Um, so I think I think Kevin had worked with like several um, of of the Google folks previously, um, and so like they already knew and trusted kind of like like us and we already had we had kind of a good friendly group that wasn't all just kind of strangers um and we were but but that, i mean eventually we ended up hiring everyone from like we we hired some of our best people were actually users of parse like um the guy who ran all, all our community and such was actually making parse apps he had just graduated um and uh so that was actually another great strategy um hacker news jobs post was a really good one um and I, I guess that alone actually worked really, really well. And so now Parse is like shut down, right? It is, yeah. So just the other day, uh, I think the end of January, um, Facebook finally... Uh, so Facebook open sourced the entire project. And now there are actually little companies that like provide Parse hosting, much like... Oh, man, really? Yeah, much like... You know, it's AWS for Parse. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because there's, there's actually like very little profitable businesses, like all those folks who host WordPress for businesses, yeah. you know, they can like, because WordPress is an open source project, now Parse is too. So there are people who just took over the hosting part of it. And so, but the Parse team, uh, to their credit, like they kept building and working and adding features to the open source project. It's really, really good. Um, and so there's a lot of people who switched over who like we actually helped everyone migrate over from like from using like our servers over to like the open source project and like how to do that. The company did an amazing job with that. Um, I think it was one of the best shutdowns of a company that I've seen. So often users are really angry and like, but this was a really graceful long like over a year notice that we were gonna be shut down. Uh, open source did like migration tools. Uh, too many startups end up just kind of like closing. Like oh, for sure, yeah, it's happened. Uh, do you think there's another parse coming down the pipeline? Like someone's going to try it again? Well, Firebase did right, so they they were actually in our batch. Uh, they were a different company at the time. They were doing like uh, basically chat for every website. So like you know how a website like like how like how like how a Twitch has like a chat little box. 
Um, they were trying to do that for everyone. And they ended up pivoting later into doing basically like parse again. So they're, so, and then Google bought them. So, right. so Google, Google has their own parse and then Facebook had one. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, so you can use Firebase, I guess, or parse. Hosted Firebase by... is great actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, okay. So you didn't go to Facebook, right? No. Okay. So what happens after parse? What do you do? Yeah. So I was like f- fairly burned out after I, I had no break between script and parse. Like yeah. literally it was like the next day I just started working again. So after, after many, many years, I guess, um, I, 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 I'd always wanted to travel. I had never done so. Um, and so I've spent about two years traveling, uh, backpacked South America with, without a computer, um, which was great. What was that like? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. L- lived in Europe for a while, um, did a lot of speaking at conferences, um, okay. that, that sort of. And I, I tried to learn more about the international startup scene. Mm-hmm. It feels like every, every city internationally or a lot of them think like, how do we build the Silicon Valley of like, you know, South America? Or how do we build the S- Silicon Valley of like Peru? And it's like, that's not really the right approach, I don't think. I, they'd, they'd be better off focusing on like being really friendly to like one niche. Like we're gonna like we're gonna be really friendly to Bitcoin people. Like we're, we're gonna make the banks be friendly to Bitcoin startups, and like people, you might get more people going there and not dealing with all like this all all the difficulty that say like drones have here, like with all the regulations. So you you could see like a drone valley and like a Bitcoin valley. I mean, Mark Andreessen has the stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you, though, right? Like, there's no reason why, like, you know, all the pharmaceutical startups couldn't be in Germany or something. Um, and so what did you learn from, like, so you're speaking at all these conferences and stuff, and you eventually stopped doing all that speaking, right? Um, did you pick anything up along the way? Yeah, the number one question that I got um, was, how do we raise money? How did you do that? Um, and it's really unfortunate because... Like much like that, like the angel ecosystem that that had to build in in Silicon Valley, like it took a long time. Like back in like even 06, there were not that many investors, and like terms were not good. Like I mean, nowadays the typical seed round out of YC is higher than like the Series A post money that Sequoia did in Dropbox and in Airbnb. So you have to envision like this climate was completely different. Like there was not this like flood of capital uh, chasing like every good startup. Um, So that's kind of how it feels in most uh, in most international areas. So what do you tell people? um, Come out here. When I was telling folks, yeah, I mean, I I said if if you can, like raising out in the valley is. uh, I mean, like like for instance, like Algolia was in Paris the same time I was there, and they ended up moving here. FrontApp from Paris also moved here, where FrontApp I'm I'm an investor in, Um, and so the honest truth is like. I mean, I, I still think living and doing a startup here um, is very beneficial. I mean, it has certain downsides. It's very expensive here. But um, in terms of fundraising, that certainly helps. Um, also, investors are largely averse to like non-Delaware C-Corps, which a lot of these companies outside of the U.S. are. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I, as an investor now in like, you know, over 60 or 70 companies, um, I don't understand like the legal ramifications of investing in like a company in like you know South America. So you basically just avoid them. Well, it just it would be a large like legal headache to think about to go have like lawyers review this and see because yeah. So 
with with the Delaware C Corp stuff, you already have that figured out. So I, I actually just encourage folks to like to like apply to like Y Combinator, or if they can't get into YC, apply to like 500 startups, whatever. But like these these programs are so perfect for people internationally, um, and I love what Stripe is doing with Atlas, like helping people. They're trying. They're letting anyone be an entrepreneur like around the world. That is such an awesome, ambitious goal and solving that problem. So I think things have gotten much much better than back when I was like. Back in like when I was hearing that in twenty like fourteen, um, um, largely due to the efforts like that, and like YC does a really good job of taking like there's a great company called Razorpay that I'm an investor in uh, that's kind of like Stripe for India, and you know they like YC helped them with the whole transition. Um, so it's super valuable, and so that's probably a good transition. So you said like sixty angel investments yeah. at this point. Um, do you have a particular strategy and area you're focusing on? How's it going? Yeah, so I've been, um, I'm, I've so far I've invested in like Cruise, uh, which just sold to GM, uh, uh, Gusto, LendUp, um, Checker, Optimizely, uh, Reddit, um, things like that. Um, for me, in the early stage investing, I really prime, the first thing I'll look for at least is like, like it, is there a large market? Because like with, without a market, it's really hard to be successful, even if you build a great product. Um, and so is, is there a large market and are these founders like, like a really like relentless team that is like determined or like, I actually have this joke question. I'll sometimes like kind of, I don't actually ask founders this, but like, I'm like, Hey, you know, there's this conference in like, you know, like in like the UAE and someone just dropped out. Do you want to go give a talk? It'll, it'll, it'll take <laughs> so you a like week. what you did. Yeah. <laughs> And but like, I guess it'll you take you a week, yeah. uh, and like it, they were kind of like the conferences that I was actually going to. And like, yeah, and but I guess you weren't that, a founder at the time, but still, no, yeah, yeah. But like, often if founders are willing to take long distractions and doing things that are not relevant to their companies, that's a bad sign. Um, and so you you kind of learn to identify the folks who are relentless. Um, and well, like, what are other signals? For you, you see in people. I actually like solo founders. I know that's an unconventional thing in the valley, but uh, Drew was initially a solo founder with Dropbox, um, and um, a lot of other great companies were as well, or had one founder who really drove the project through. Um, so I think people who are willing to go through it solo, it's already hard enough. People who can persevere for like a year or longer by themselves. Uh, I, I kind of really admire that. Um, you can you can kind of, I mean, references in some sense, like, you know, like if, if you ask people like, you know, who are the best people you ever worked with and they name someone, that's probably someone who's pretty good. As a technical person, do you vet the product, like the tech side of it at all? Yes, but I, I kind of believe, uh, and I'm, I'm stealing a lot of this from Mark Andreessen, um, but uh, that a really strong team in a really great market will eventually build the right product. And like, we'll, they'll figure it out, like, because the market will drag the right product out of them, whether they, whether it's kicking and screaming, like Docker came out of dot cloud, you know, yeah. uh, there's lot, lots of Twitch came out of Justin TV, Justin TV was actually had this one vertical of like gaming that was really growing and they actually ditched the rest of it and just did the gaming vertical. Okay. And so often like good markets will actually good growing markets will, will actually eventually steer you in the right direction. So as an investor, have you been burned yet? I mean, you've only been doing it for a couple years, right? Um, are there any like hard lessons you've had to learn? I think, 
one good thing, well, I think people complain about valuations every single year. I, I, I've, I've heard this <laughs> since 2005. I remember when Optimizely's seed round was at four and people were like, that's so expensive. I'm never going to pay that. <laughs> like, you know, now it's probably like it's a multi-billion dollar company. Yeah. Um, so I don't listen to that anymore. Um, I think a lot of the best deals can feel expensive. Um, as Gary Tan recently said, um, you kind of in, investors make their money basically on being on being in the deal everyone wants to be in or being in the deal nobody wants to be in. And I think that's largely true. Um, like if you look at like say Dropbox and Airbnb, they took like over a year to go from demo day to their Series A. So you, you don't have to actually rush into things at demo day. There's a lot of room in the post seed world where you can kind of invest like maybe at a slightly higher valuation, but like before the Series A. Um, and so I've done a lot of that as well. And how are you finding those deals? Um, there are either often their products I use or often they're things that actually solve problems that I had. Like, um, in, like in terms of areas I focus on, I guess I, I should, I should mention, uh, a, a lot of B2B and, and like, uh, enterprise, a lot of autonomous vehicle tech, like much like cruise, um, and a lot in like marketplaces, I'm, I'm still bullish on, on, I don't think that there are enough marketplaces for all the different verticals yet. Hmm. Like, for example? Um, okay, I, I'm an investor in Quartzy, which is actually, which is a great startup, just did their Series B. Um, and they are bringing, for, for life science laboratories, like at universities or say at like Genentech, they're, they're, they're uniting, like they're fixing the whole like inventory system problem, like because most folks just have like either like a chalkboard with like writing down what they have or like whatever, um, or like some, some paper binder. So they are uniting the life science labs with the suppliers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's very valuable. And much like Airbnb, like a lot of people said like, well, why do we need Airbnb? We already have Craigslist. But often these these experiences are much better when they're custom tailored. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it was Chris Dixon who like made that graphic a while ago of like breaking Craigslist out into like yeah. all these billion dollar companies, yeah. something like that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's true. It's uh, there's so many companies that are just like we see it with YC, and I, Jared actually wrote a post about it last year. The startup zeitgeist, like all the trends. Like people often don't pay attention to the unsexy, but like giant markets. Yeah. Um, and, and those are often like the most interesting ones in terms of like investments. Um, and so a lot of my investments didn't, didn't seem sexy at the time, um, but, but worked out. Um, and so like where, where are the markets you think that like people, in addition to those marketplaces, like people ought to be paying attention to? Because right now there's a lot of noise around, you know, say, for example, like, VR or machine learning AI stuff. Um, do you think that those things are uh, are worth startups going for right now, um, or are there other things that you think are good good opportunities? Yeah. So I actually really like existing huge markets that are growing. This is not not everyone agrees with this. Some people say look for a small market and like expand it. Like I think that's kind of I think I think in zero to one, Peter Thiel kind of talks about this. That that certainly can work. Um, but I think a lot of okay, Dropbox is like a great example. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of famous investors, I won't name, passed on Dropbox at a $2 million valuation saying the space is too crowded. But when you see a huge market that's fragmented with like lots of like companies, like many were public already doing the same kind of thing just badly. If you can make a 10x better product 
like you can really win and there's room for lots of winners right box is public they you know they started like roughly in the same like era uh you know dropbox is doing really really well i think they just hit a billion dollar run rate or something um and there's room for lots of winners in huge markets and so i i i'm guilty of following like trends and like saying like oh youtube is hot let's do like youtube for x like oh like but it's cruise for x don't do that yeah, yeah. don't don't do that <laughs> Because that, that, that's rarely how the best companies were formed. Like when Stripe started, everyone said, why another payments company? Everyone yeah. already has a payment system. But they made a 10x better product that developers loved. They found a niche of people who loved what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, developer friendly and they signed merchant IDs on the fly. That was huge. Uh, Dropbox had like the same kind of reaction. Um, Airbnb, I mean, uh, as Seibel uh, posted, like, you know, all the famous investors passed on that. Like, because... They didn't really, well, they didn't necessarily understand the problem. Like, you know, why would I rent out the living room of my brownstone in, in Manhattan? I don't, you know. Uh, uh, do, you, do you think it is an education problem? Because that happens with YC a lot, right? Like there, there are people that are seemingly entering a crowded space, but in actuality, like they are going to be the winner, right? So if you are the founder of that company, how do you educate people if you do in fact need money from them? Like what do you, is it, or is it just about education? I think YC has actually like done an, a really admirable job in just picking relentless individuals like the Airbnb got, like the Airbnb um, team, which was like a team that just was never going to give up. And even when they're not sure about the market or idea, they'll bet on really amazing people uh, who, who are relentless. And I think that's one of the genius parts of YC and why YC has worked out so well. Um, I suspect nowadays, I think you kind of have to ship at least part of that 10x better product uh, just because the, applic- the application yeah. nowadays, I don't think I would even get into YC um, <laughs> if I applied right now. Um, but because it's much harder to get into, there's just more applications now than there were back then. And so I think if you can show some traction or some product market fit in a large market, that's always good. Um, but in terms, I mean, I, I just think investors are. Wrong. I think a lot of investors are wrong on this, um, and I think. A great way to find startup ideas is to look at the Inc. 500 magazine, you know, and it shows the fastest growing startups, like in terms of like revenue, like, like say like year over year or like over three years. And then just look at those markets and then see if you have founder market fit in any of them. Do you know any of those markets really well? And then if you, you know, have a secret, as Peter Thiel would say, like if you know something about like if like like much like the way like Drew knew that, you know, we can make a much better backup cloud storage type product like than this and like it's ridiculous people are using usb drives for backing up stuff mm-hmm. like and that's because all the products suck even though there are public companies in this space um and that's so he just sat down and built the 10x better product so i i really like looking at the software that you use every day and seeing which ones annoy you like which ones make you like really cringe um and i always write those down uh because if you're using that it means it's probably one of the better products or it's what people are forced to use and if you can build the 10x better product, uh, people will switch. Totally. And I think paying attention to market size makes a huge difference. I'm, I'm still shocked that there aren't more like, not cruise lookalikes, but self-driving in general. Like personal transportation is so massive that like there's room for like 10 of them. Yeah. Sebastian Thrun recently was, I think he was quoted saying basically roughly a self-driving like kind of like engineer uh, type person is worth roughly like $10 million <laughs> like in like an acquisition or like in like M&A. I mean, well, I mean, Cruise was 50 people and sold for a billion. 
But keep in mind, GM stock price actually went up on the news. So like the, the market actually, I think, uh, viewed it, viewed this positively because GM, well, GM wisely noted that they were going to either become a software and technology company or kind of become a di dinosaur relic. Because I, I believe it, it, this is true of all companies. Like all companies will either become software companies or they're going to die. Mm -hmm. um, as an investor now, do you have uh, just a fear of choosing the right idea if you were to do a startup again? Like, are you scared of doing one or would you want to? That's a, such a great question. And I, that's okay. Um, yes, absolutely. And I, I actually think repeat founders are something that's are actually at a disadvantage in many ways because you feel this pressure to come up with some genius idea when usually the best startups are not a genius idea. They're not some like brilliant flash in the pan. It's just doing something that like Facebook, MySpace already existed. Friendster had already existed, but like Mark just really nailed it. He started with the colleges. He built something awesome that people loved. Uh, and so I, I think often just doing things better is like not a bad strategy. Um, but as a second time founder, I, or a third time founder, I feel a pressure to like, it's like the sophomore slump that Richard Feynman talks about in physics, where he wasn't allowed to work on small ideas anymore. Mm -hmm. He had to work on some gigantic thing, but all the best discoveries in physics came from like, kind of, hey, th that doesn't seem right. Like, you know, it's kind of odd, uh, that Maxwell's equations say that like, you know, speed of light is always constant. So what do you do to like actively combat that in your brain and just the people around you as well? I think you have to, <laughs> I almost want to say like not, not work in secret, but like I wouldn't even talk up too much about my idea probably. Cause I, it would sound so stupid, but the best, I think the best companies do sound like kind of dumb. Um, and also, being willing to experiment uh, with lots of kind of dumb ideas and maybe focusing on markets where there already is a so-called winner, um, I think there's room for lots of winners in lots of markets. It's really tough, too, because I know, I know tons of successful people that work on all these little side projects but are embarrassed to put them out yes. because they're just like stupid little toys and like, you know, it would be, I don't know, inappropriate or just not cool for them to put out some like Chrome extension yeah. that they just built for themselves. And, th and then this actually gets worse. Then you kind of get tempted to like take the money people offer you because like whatever in fundraising, you're like, oh, okay, I'll take a couple million dollars just to like as a seed round. But then you're suddenly almost stuck in whatever market and product that you kind of picked and you've probably picked wrong. Uh, just like we did, just like I did every time. <laughs> so knowing that you've picked wrong, like you kind of get stuck and it's too awkward to tell your investors that you're changing and pivoting. And so I think second time founders raise money too fast. Like I, I'm not going to raise money until I have strong product market fit and I know what I'm doing. Um, and a, a friend of mine who actually raised money too early was just lamenting how it, that probably killed his second company. Man, and what about those people who were successful and then decide that they want to like create a, like a lab where they have like seven startups to them to their own? Yeah, that's like really interesting, right? Like Max Max Levshin's done really well with that. I had Yelp come out of that. Uh, Slide, which he uh, sold to Google. Um, yeah, I think a firm, and then uh, there's some great ones. Um, that that, that model's really worked out for him. Um, I feel like he's an outlier. Yes. Um, but I don't know. Could be wrong. Um, the other labs, I don't think I've seen be as successful. Like, I think, like, Y Combinator used to not like being called an incubator because, like, uh, the, most incubators haven't really worked out that well. Um, Maxes aside. Um, 
I think it's hard to really honestly focus on that many different ideas um, that are all in progress. I mean, landing pages are one thing because they're because <laughs> they're all the same template. You're modifying text effectively, yeah. like often. But like, if yeah, building having teams that are working on like six, seven different projects, it's hard to. Uh, figure out that that really strong product market fit, which is what most startups fail. Most startups fail because they never get strong product market fit. Agreed. Okay, so kind of like uh, wrapping up, if you, as a multi-time founder, if you were to give some advice to someone who's starting their first company, what would you tell them in terms of like, don't spend time doing this, spend time doing that? This is to a first-time founder? Uh, why don't we do both? Well, like, so first time and second time or whatever. Multi. Everything that's not working on your product and finding product market fit is a waste of time. Like that's the only thing that you should be doing. Uh, don't don't worry about fundraising. Don't worry about everything else. Uh, if you the, the folks who do fundraise too early typically get into real trouble because um, they never are able to get the product market fit. Um, really focus on finding that huge market. Go to go to that Inc. Five Thousand list. Uh, find the fastest growing companies. Find a market that you know really really well. Be- better better than anyone else. So have founder market fit and. Like make it a big one that's growing and then just build a 10x, focus on building a 10x better product in that space. All right. Thanks for listening. So as always, please rate and subscribe to the show. And if you want to read the transcript or check out the video, they're both at blog.ycombinator.com. Okay. See you next time.